Okay. Daisy didn't say it, but that's, that's probably your last time on the mic, right, Daisy? Okay. She didn't want to say it. She didn't just get fired or anything like that, okay? Not... She has served with distinction and served so well. And each time Daisy has touched the mic, she doesn't disappoint. There's always, she always, uh, yeah, you guys are a little fired up when after Daisy's had the mic, even on a night tonight, like tonight, when it's a little bit somber, appropriately so, right? Yeah, love you guys. It's our last meeting tonight in the Siege Auditorium. We will hopefully be next week at the Kaiapha House outside if the weather is good for baptisms, okay? Okay? Um, hey, so this has been a full week, um, and not a light week, but a, a, um, I don't want to say heavy, but I, I mean, it's had some weight to it, okay? Weight isn't necessarily bad, okay? But it's not been a, uh, not by any means a silly week, right? Um, but I have felt the Lord's presence. He has been with us. And we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at Psalm 34, 18 in a moment here. Um, but first, I just want to talk about um, baby Elijah Weezer and his family. And I will mostly talk about them and the Lord throughout this message tonight. Okay? So that's where we're going. Um, if you're here for the first time, uh, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But this is a bit of a different night um, because of what we've gone through this week. And I think this is the appropriate way to spend this night. Okay? Can you guys put up that first slide for me? I want to have this slide up while I read a letter or an email from Kim and Colin Weezer um, on Tuesday. There he is, April 25th, 2023, 8.03 a.m., four pounds, one ounce, 16 and a half inches. What a precious gift. Okay, I'm going to read this letter. If I get too choked up, y'all tell me to breathe, okay? <laughs> breathe and smile. Okay, this is from the Weezers. Um, it says, good evening, friends. That includes you guys. Okay? Good evening, friends. This was sent out Tuesday. Good evening, friends. Today has been a challenging and yet beautiful day. Our sweet Elijah was born without a heartbeat this morning at 8.03 a.m. He passed away in utero sometime in the last couple of days. He was perfect in every way we could have imagined, but is now perfected in a way far beyond where our imagination reaches. He has been healed in every, that's all caps, every way that anyone has prayed over him and will enjoy the sweetest blessing of spending every moment of his life in Jesus' loving arms. We will share in a celebration of his life soon, and we will share more details on that as they become available. Thank you all for every moment you have spent praying for, encouraging, and supporting our family. We appreciate it all and continue to value your love and your prayers. Continue to value your love and your prayers. That means our prayers and love can continue, should continue, will continue. And even that's how we're going to finish tonight is by praying for them, okay? And, and I know that even among us, we are, we've invested in this enough that we're grieving, many of us. 
And I think the best way for us to grieve is to come alongside Kim and Colin and pray over them, even again tonight. Sound right? Sound good? Okay. Hey, I got a picture of the prayer tent crew. Now, this doesn't do justice fully. Um, if we could put that up. This is just... Um, we got together 3 a.m. on Tuesday. Colin and Kim went in at 4.30, um, and the C-section was, was begun roughly at 7.30. Um, and so we were together from 3, 3 o'clock until this time when we got the news um, about Elijah's birth. And so that's our, our gathering around, our puffy-eyed gathering around the prayer tent. And so that's everybody, I think, except for Mariah, who went to be with her family. Um, after losing her grandmother this week. Okay, so that, that was everybody, but it's not everybody because so many of you guys actually joined us. So many of you students, you guys were with us in the prayer tent and really actually helped us finish strong in the prayer tent and gave us an extra push. And I was so inspired um, by you guys and the prayers that I heard prayed uh, within our ranks. Just beautiful moments in the tent. Um, what did we pray for in there? I'm gonna break down some things that we prayed for and talk about how prayer was actually answered this semester for us, okay? Number one, this is how I started every time in the prayer tent. I prayed, and a lot of us did this, we prayed for peace and joy, faith and rest for Colin and Kim throughout this pregnancy. We prayed that over them, that they would sleep at night, that they would have rest, that they would have peace that is unexplainable, that they'd not be anxious, they'd not be full of worry, but they would have peace and even have joy and their faith in God would be strong. We prayed for that and it happened. It happened. They walked in this. Yes, they had moments where they were freaking out and they were scared and they were worried and mad and upset. They, they experienced the full gamut of emotions, right? But what they were marked by through this was peace and faith in God. They walked in this. Colin and Kim actually joined us. I didn't expect Colin to show up to staff on Monday, but he wanted to be there. And he brought Kim and baby Elijah. <laughs> they joined us for staff on Monday, and, and I was amazed by their peace and strength at that moment, less than 24 hours out from the C-section. What am I saying? I'm saying our prayers were answered. They had a peace, a confidence, a hope, and even a joy in that moment, being so close to a, a, a moment they, they've anticipated so much. We prayed for this, ownership. I'll explain that. We prayed that as we invested in, that we invested prayer in this baby boy and the Weezer family, that we would be drawn close to him, to baby Elijah. I'll read that again. We prayed that as we invested prayer in this baby boy and the Weezers, we would be drawn close to him, his family, and this, the rest of our XA family. And this happened. This happened. That little baby boy, he feels like our own. And he's forever in our hearts. I mean, think about it. 20 years from now, anybody that went to that prayer tent, I could say, hey, you remember the prayer tent? Do you remember baby Elijah Weezer? We would all be like, oh yeah, we're never gonna forget it. And that's because the Lord knit our, our hearts together with him and with his family and with each other as we prayed. 
our prayers were answered. We prayed that life would come from Elijah's life. We prayed that life would come from Elijah's life. We prayed that as healing power flowed to him, others in our fellowship would be healed. That happened. That has happened. I don't know a tally. I haven't like dug and tried to like pull up a full tally of how many people were healed. But without even looking, I've had seven people just approach me and I've had seven accounts of physical healings in this body without people coming up and talking to me, without people like knowing that I'm even looking for that. And I think it's easily double digits. It might be 20, it might be more of people that were healed as we prayed for the healing of baby Elijah. Life did come from his life. And not just life did, not life is coming from his life. Life will come from his life. One of the reasons we shot that picture um, as we gathered around the tent after receiving sad news is because I had this conviction that in that moment, we're, we're kind of somber. We're kind of like, ouch. But we're going to look back on that many years from now and know even greater than we do now the life that came from Elijah's life, yeah. right? And we did have a student like give their life to Jesus while praying for baby Elijah in that tent. But there's going to be a whole lot more. I think a whole lot more will come, I believe. We prayed for Elijah's healing in his physical body. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I prayed for that. That God would overcome trisomy 18 in every last cell of his body. And this did, as, as the Weezer said in their email, he is now perfect. He's in the arms of his father, and he's perfect. He is healed. He's better off than us. It's not all bad to buy place, bypass this place, let me tell you. <laughs> he's doing better than we are. But also, I want to face off with this. Sometimes we just try and dance around and adjust what we say according to what happened. And we just got to face this, that we prayed for healing in Elijah's physical body. We prayed over his heart countless times, and his heart failed him. Right? The earthly, physical, tangible sense that we prayed for, his healing, that didn't happen the way we were hoping, right? What Kim and Colin hoped for was to go to the hospital with a baby boy and walk out of the hospital with a baby boy. They walked out empty-handed, right? And that's one of the hardest things they have ever done in their lives. Through our prayers, we began to dream of Elijah's life here. Do you follow this? We developed an imagination for what he would be like. Say two years old, four years old, six years old. We had even like dreams and imaginations of what he would be like. You're kind of wondering, is he going to become like Colin? And you imagine Colin at five, and you're like, oh, man. <laughs> right? But that's the reality of this. And so we're disappointed and brokenhearted 
but that's okay. We have difficult questions, which at this point don't necessarily have good answers. We may not have answers, but we do have a promise. We're turning the corner. We may not have answers, but we do have a promise. Being brokenhearted makes you eligible for one of God's greatest promises. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Being brokenhearted makes you eligible for one of God's greatest promises. This is Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord, that's a promise that you can take to the bank. That's a promise that is available to Kim and Colin, that's available to every one of us tonight. The Lord is near. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. More than answers to our difficult questions, we need the presence of someone who understands. More than answers to our difficult questions, we need the presence of someone who understands. So, does God understand? Does he grieve? Has he been in Colin and Kim's shoes? Does he know what it's like to lose someone? Does he know what it's like to lose a son? To answer this, we're going to take a look at something. And it might feel like a little bit of a strange journey that I'm taking us on, but it'll get there. It'll, it will arrive. Um, we're going to take a look at the capacity to grieve <clears throat> of different beings, okay? Then we're gonna start with the animal kingdom, and then we're gonna to come to us, and then we're gonna to come to God, okay? And we're gonna see something, okay? This might help because it's gonna lighten the mood just a little bit for a moment, because this is, you know, pretty weighty stuff. We're gonna look at the capacity to grieve among created beings, and then the uncreated being. With this understanding that grief is proportional to intimacy. Grief is proportional to intimacy, to nearness. Just, it might sound like some big words, but it's pretty simple. The nearer you can get to somebody, the closer you get to somebody, the more potential you have to grieve, right? And the more it hurts when you lose somebody. Okay, you could say it this way, you suffer in direct proportion to how well you know someone and how deeply you engaged with them. Y'all got that? You follow it? Okay. Some of us are maybe even surprised, like baby Elijah was not your baby, but you woke up Wednesday. I actually took a nap Tuesday afternoon, tried to, um, because we got up at, I got up at 2 a.m. I got to my house like at 2 or 3, and I tried to take a nap, and I, I, I kind of, it was like a 15-minute nap, just kind of dozed in and then woke back up. And I was kind of startled, and I was like, is it true, is it not, is it true, is it not? And I was wondering, did he make it, did he not make it? And then the more I woke up, I was like, no, he didn't make it. And I was just engaging with this reality, this truth, right? And the reason why I was hoping it wasn't true is because I'm so 
deeply invested in this. I'm so engaged. I spent so many hours in that prayer tent praying for baby Elijah's life that I have a nearness to him, a closeness to him, a closeness to his family, right? And so to hear that he's not made it is grieving. Okay. I said I was going to lighten things up a little bit. Here we go. We're going to look at crows, dolphins, elephants, and monkeys, all right? How's that? Do you know, do you know that they actually have mourning rituals? And I don't know if you'd call them traditions, but they do. It's observable. Um, Crows actually have a very distinct, crows are actually very intelligent. I've done some reading about them prior even to this. Um, they have a whole lot of different calls, um, which shows something about their, I don't know if you'd call it intellect, but their, their mind and their capacity as birds, okay? Uh, one of their calls is a morning call. So if uh, another crow falls, another crow dies, they actually make a call and, it, and they all know that call as we've lost one of us. And they actually pause and their behavior changes for a moment. Isn't that fascinating? And they, 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 they observe the falling of a comrade as crows. And they, I don't know if you'd say pay homage, but for a moment, they, they pause. Um, dolphins have the same thing, they do, not the same thing, but a similar thing where there's observable behavior that when one, another dolphin dies, they adjust things. Um, elephants do, monkeys, for one, have been observed to have different morning rituals. Um, can you put that picture up for me? Okay, this is a, a monkey. I don't know if you can be famous as a monkey, but this monkey was somewhat well-known at a particular zoo. Um, her name was Dorothy. And uh, she passed away in her late 40s. Did pretty well, right? Uh, <laughs> she did die of heart failure, and what you see here is a picture, look at those monkeys on the other side of that fence. These are normally, you guys have been to the zoo, these are normally gregarious, loud, short attention span monkeys that are quiet and still, and they cannot take their eyes off of Dorothy. They have some capacity. They had a level of nearness. They know that's Dorothy. I don't know if they know, I don't know if they call her Dorothy, but they know who that is, right? And because they had some relationship to her, there's grief, it's proportional to intimacy. Because they had some nearness, they are in their own way grieving, right? Okay. Think about dogs. What do we call dogs? Man's, man's best friend, right? Um, I think pr you guys have probably seen this. Dogs are visibly disturbed. Not all of them, but the majority of them, especially ones that are close, are visibly disturbed at the loss of their owners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's certain patterns that you can see. Um, sleep, diet, energy level, all of these can change for a dog. And most notably, like in the first three days and even beyond that sometimes. Okay, the animal kingdom behind us, let's consider us, humanity. We do have, we do have a different capacity than the animal kingdom. We have a higher intellect. We have memories that last 
a lifetime. We have emotions. And above all, we are spiritual beings. All of this together, spirit, soul, body, we, it means this, that we have a capacity to get so much closer. We have a capacity to engage each other in a deep, deep way. And this means a lot when we remember that the things that do make us close, what makes us close? Conversation, communication, unselfish choices, shared experiences. I don't know what has made you close to people that you love, but think about those things. The things that have made me close to people that are dear to me, that it would pain me to lose, those things that have made me close to people, they're actually not original to me. They're original to the triune God. If you don't understand what I'm trying to say, then let me lean on William Pope here. A quote from him will help us. He says this, God speaks to man as a finite copy of his infinite self. My thoughts are not your thoughts. That's scripture, actually. But God says that. My thoughts are not your thoughts, but only in the sense of being nobler. And neither are my ways your ways, but only in the sense of being higher and better. Personality, power, goodness, truth, and love are reflections in us of his image. Realities in us corresponding to realities in him. More scripture. He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? You guys follow this? We are transcripts from an eternal archetype. The incarnation is the pledge that human nature may have a true knowledge of the divine. Hmm. Thank you, William Pope. Okay, so we've considered the animal kingdom. We've considered us as humanity. Now let's take a look at the capacity of God. And you might ask, how do we even do that? How do we do that? How do we consider the capacity of the uncreated? How do we consider God's capacity for intimacy, for nearness? We look at scripture. <laughs> and what does it tell us? In Psalm 139, 18, it says this, his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand. What is that telling us except that they're infinite? His thoughts outnumber the grains of sand. A good question to follow that question would be, if God has thoughts, then does he have thoughts about us? And if he has an infinite amount of thoughts, then what is he thinking about? His children. What is most precious to him? What is most valuable to him? Does God have thoughts about us? Here's an answer from Psalm 139, verses 3 to 4. Does God have thoughts about us? You better believe it. This is Psalm 139, verse 3 from the Amplified Version. You scrutinize my path. You scrutinize my path and my, my lying down and are intimately acquainted 
with all my ways. He's intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Is God near? He's more near to us, to you, than any other person, human being could ever be. Verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Psalm 139, verse 13, then 15 and 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God knew us. He knew you before your parents ever knew you. How do you even see an unformed body, <laughs> right? What is an inmost being? He created your inmost being. God is near. He has a capacity that's far beyond us. God's greater capacity must mean greater intimacy, which must mean, in turn, greater grief. But still, this can be like, some thoughts, and how do you land these things? So what I did to land this, and, and I've done this again and again, but I've read Psalm 139 with my own children in mind and thought about how I know them, how I love them, and how close I am to them, and then compared my closeness to them with God's closeness to them, okay? You'll see the value of this in a second. But what does this mean if grief is proportional to intimacy and God can be closer than any one of us can be close to each other? You'll follow this in a second. So I took, in this case, I took my daughter, Piper. She's 14. She turned 14 yesterday. She'll be in high school next year. That's blowing my mind, kind of freaking me out. <laughs> Time flies. Um, but yeah, I relived this a little bit yesterday. She was born 14 years ago yesterday. I remember waking up at four o'clock in the morning, going to the hospital, all these things. Um, so I read Psalm 139, and I think about my closeness to Piper, but then I think about God's closeness to her. To her. I was there when Piper was born. God knew her before she was formed in the womb. Hmm. Different level. I was there when she spoke her first words, which she did say dad first. <laughs> I was there when she spoke her first words. God outdoes that. It says, before there is a word on my tongue, he knows it. Before there was ever a word on Piper's tongue, he knew it. Which also would mean he knows all your unspoken words. Yikes. When Piper first walked, I was there. But God is beyond that. In a typical day, I spend a lot of time away from my daughter. Does God? No, it says he scrutinizes her path. He's intimately acquainted with all her ways, all her steps. He knows when she goes out, when she comes in. Do you get it? I don't know Piper like he does. 
So then, if I can jump to the end of this trajectory that I'm on and ask this question, what if I were to lose Piper? Well, it's a terrible thought. But a more significant thought is actually this, what if God were to lose her? Because he is, after all, so much closer, so much nearer to her. He knew her before she was ever formed in her mother's womb. Do you follow this? In Genesis, we find God saying to, to, to Adam, Adam, where art thou? That's the King James because it sounds good, right? <laughs> but really, it's like, Adam, where are you? And this is, he's sinned and he's fallen. God know, knows where he's at, but he's, he's asking him, what's happened? Because he feels this divide. And the intimacy and the nearness is broken. And so God says, Adam, where art thou? G. Campbell Morgan says this. When God says, where art thou? This is not the voice of a policeman, but the wailing voice of the father who has lost his child. This is not the voice of a policeman. Adam, where are you? But the wailing voice the grieving voice of the father who has lost his son. Frederick Faber says this, there is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. Kind of counter to what we would think, but God's in heaven and he's got a heart <laughs> that grieves. There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than up in heaven. Faber's words bring Psalm 34 to life. God is near to the brokenhearted. This is what we need, someone that understands, someone that feels, that knows, that knows even more than we do. As we walk through something like this, questions do come up. And in some ways, we're, we're facing questions right now that you know Kim and Colin have been dealing with for months. But we don't need answers to all our questions. We just need the presence of, a, of one who understands our heartache. We don't need answers to all our questions. You could have answers and you still wouldn't, it wouldn't fix things. You think that if you had some answers and you're reaching out for those, we don't need answers to all our questions. We just need the presence of one who understands our heartache. And that we have. And that we have in our Heavenly Father. This week, um, it's been weighty, like I said. <laughs> and I found myself just personally saying, when is this going to lighten up? But then another part of me says, treasure this. I'm not messed up, trust me. Treasure this. Treasure this moment. 
again, I'm going to go to the famous journalist Malcolm Mugridge, and he's going to give us help to understand why I'm saying treasure this. You guys with me? You okay? Malcolm Mugridge said this, why would you treasure a moment of such great loss like right now? Mugridge said this, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. I'll read that again. You're like, wait, what did you say? Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences like what we're going through right now that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that is truly enhanced and enlightened, yes, I said that, enhanced and enlightened, my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness whether pursued or attained. He finishes, this, of course, is what the cross signifies. And it is the cross, more than anything else, that has called me inexorably to Christ. What is he saying? Why would I say treasure this? Because hard times can equal good times because God is so near. Hard times can equal good times. By good times, I don't mean like, like a New Year's Eve party kind of good time, you know, where it's, oh, it's a new year, you know, not even really a good reason, it's just a new year, so you just get silly, right? I'm not talking about good times like that. But hard times, equal good times because God is so near. And some of you might find this hard to understand. I think Colin could explain this to you at some point. Even in my own personal experience, I look back on my, my wife's brain surgery in 2018 it was an intense summer, June 2018. But I sometimes look back on it and I go, those were good times. Oh, it wasn't lighthearted. It wasn't like, oh, this is awesome. No, it was intense. It was very scary. And yet I look back on that summer and it's kind of precious because God was so near. And so that's what we have in front of us right now. We have an opportunity to be near to God, be near to Jesus. And that's what we need more than anything. And as we're near to Jesus, he comforts us. You know why? Because he's felt pain like nobody else ever has. And he grieves more deeply than we do. So he's one that understands. And when you take your grieving to him, he can grieve with you, but he'll give you joy that will sustain you and give you strength, and you can share it with other people. <laughs> like right here. 
or with Colin and Kim. And as you're comforted, you can pray that they would be comforted. Worship team, if you guys can come back and join me. Psalm 34, 18. Can we put that back up? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Does that have a bit more meaning than when I first read it? It had potency, it had power when I first read it because it's the word of God in the scripture. But the whole goal tonight has been just to shed some light on that. That when it says that, you know, it could say, well, it says God is near to the brokenhearted. There's some people that if it said they were near to you when you're brokenhearted, it would not be comforting to you. You'd want to run the other way. Or if somebody is near to you that has no compassion, no understanding, can't feel anything, that would be, have no significance. But the one that feels more deeply than anyone, that has suffered more than anyone, is close, and he is near. So, again, we don't need answers to all our questions. We just need the presence of one who understands our heartache, and that we have in our Heavenly Father. We're going to take some time. Again, I think one of the best ways to respond is to respond like we began, worshiping and telling Jesus that we love him. The, the worship band didn't just like arbitrarily pick some songs tonight. Like the lyrics are written for moments like this, okay? They're very relevant. So let's begin to worship again. We'll finish as we started by worshiping. If you need a moment to respond to something that's been said, or just to thank God for his nearness, then take that and do that. But then grab somebody, a person from your small group, or maybe your small group can gather all together, and let's just continue to pray for Colin and Kim. Colin is here in the very back, and I just want to ask you at this point, uh, I know some of y'all like flock up there and smother him because you love him, but I'm just gonna ask you at this point to give him some space. Is that all right, Colin? <laughs> And, and pray and pray together that this, this promise that in Psalm 34, 18, that God is near to the brokenhearted would be a very tangible reality tonight for the Weezer family and for Colin and Kim and all of their family. A very tangible promise tonight and tomorrow and the next day and the days to come. Okay? I'm going to pray that and then you guys to get together and pray that, and there will be power in us praying together. Lord, we thank you that you are near, that you are not far off. We thank you for your promise that you are close to the brokenhearted. And your closeness is the best. You're the one that understands. You're the one that suffered more than all of us. You're the one who has indeed lost a son. You have the, the greatest capacity of all 
to draw near, to be intimate, to be close. You know what it's like to grieve. Or would you be near to Colin and Kim? Would you embrace them? Would you wrap your arms around them? Would you love them? Would you sustain them? Would you hold them up? Would you not just give them grace to to continue on, but Lord, I pray that you would give them joy, that would be their strength, that would be that you would give them peace, that you would give them hope, that you'd give them the capacity even to celebrate all the good that has happened and see all the good that has happened and is happening and will happen through baby Elijah's life. Mm. Lord, we thank you for all these things. Would you even as we pray now, as the family of Chi Alpha together, would you lead our prayers? Would you make them potent? Would you fulfill your promise that you are near to the brokenhearted? In the name of Jesus, amen. You guys can gather together and pray. And then when you're done, let's worship together.